Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So uh, last week, Tucker uh, said that I'm more chill than him. So I'm trying to figure out, I don't know what the opposite of chill is, but whatever that is, I guess he's more of that than me, right? Is that that true? Um, Tucker actually said something last week uh, that I thought was worth revisiting this morning. Uh, If you could go to that, there it is, it's up there right now. A gospel that doesn't offend you is a gospel that will not transform you. And um, can you hear me okay? Is this working? Sort of, kind of. I want you to to hang on to that thought because we're going to come back to that a little bit later. Gospel that doesn't offend you is a gospel that will not transform you. Um, we're in a, a series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, today, we're going to go over 13 verses, which is a lot more than we have been doing. It's a long passage, and it's a little bit disjointed. Actually, this whole section, the beginning of chapter 3, is a digression. Uh, Paul's going to pray. Two of the most beautiful prayers really ever recorded are both in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 and chapter 3. And Paul here begins to pray, and then he stops, and he, and he kind of goes back over, he interjects this thought that we'll look at today, and then he comes back around to the prayer. We actually won't get to the prayer for a few weeks, because next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and the following week is Easter Sunday. So we will celebrate uh, those days on the liturgical calendar, and then we'll get back to the prayer uh, the week after that. But this morning, I thought it would be worthwhile to... Go ahead and set that up and look at this digression. As it's a, Like I said, it's a little disjointed, but I, I think there are some nuggets in there that are worth looking at to break up the monotony and make things a little more uh, fun for everybody. I have invited my friend Taylor to come and read for us this morning. Although I am less than 
So I, we forgot to, I, I had it on a slide, but we'll just, I want to pray briefly, but our title this morning is Better Together, and that's a phrase that we, uh, we, we use a lot around here. We really believe it's true, and I think as uh, kind of disjointed as this passage is, I think the underlying theme uh, is really that we are better together. So Lord, we, uh, we agree, we say yes and amen to that, and we pray that you would cause your word to uh, soak into our hearts today and just help us to, to recognize afresh this morning how much better we really are together. In your name we pray, amen. So the, the whole passage really, the whole chapter, chapter 3 is about prayer. And uh, prayer is a three-sided relationship. Most relationships are, are kind of two-sided. There's two people involved. With prayer, there's three people involved. Uh, God is the person being prayed to, and that's consistent. God is always the one that we pray to. Uh, and then there's the prayer. In this case, it's Paul, but that can change. The prayer could be you or me or any one of us at any given time. And then the third party, of course, is the one being prayed for. And again, in this situation, that is the Ephesian church, but that can change as well. Uh, any one of us can pray for anyone else at any given time. Uh, I've said before, and, and I'll just mention it again today, that to pray for someone is one of the most loving things we can do. And, and I think that sometimes we devalue that a little bit. If we have a friend or a loved one or, you know, a, a co-worker, whoever, who's going through a difficult time, they're struggling, they're sad, what, whatever's going on in their life, and we might say, hey, I'll pray for you. And I think if you're like me, to be honest, sometimes when you say that, you, you feel like it's almost trivial, almost like I wish I could do something more than that. But the truth is that to pray really is one of the most loving things we can do. I have a friend who is experiencing a really, really, really difficult situation in his life, his family's life right now. And I spoke with him yesterday, and uh, during that conversation, at the end of it, I said, hey, let me pray for you. And I, at that moment, I became aware that really it was... Uh, the grace of God that I was able to to pray with him through that situation. So I say that simply to say this, don't ever devalue the opportunity to pray for someone else. Um, if you're, uh, I, I, w I would challenge you even, 
this week, you're talking to somebody and interacting with somebody and there's something happening in their life, uh, pray for them. Just say, hey, you know what? Let me pray for you. And, and understand the profundity, really, of what it means for you to be able to lift that person up. So um, Paul begins by saying, if you want to go to the next... Oh, go, go ahead. You did a good job. For this, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, Paul's not speaking metaphorically there. He's, that's literal. He is a prisoner. He's in jail. He's writing from prison. Um, and it really is for the sake of the Gentiles. I don't think he's rubbing it in here so much as he's really stating facts and saying, you know what, here's the deal. It's okay that I'm here. I'm willing to, to be here in jail on your behalf. Uh, and here, uh, if you want to go to the next slide, this is, this is the background to the text. This is Acts 21. I like to sometimes, I would encourage you guys to uh, cross-reference Acts with the epistles because the epistles are letters that Paul writes to different parts of the church and, and many of those you're able to cross-reference the historical context, what was actually happening at that time with Acts. So when Paul says, I'm a prisoner for the sake of you Gentiles, this is exactly what he's referring to. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. Uh, so this is interesting, really, because it's not the Romans that are upset with him. It's actually the Jews. Paul is a new Christian, and uh, they're not happy about what he's doing. So they stirred up the whole crowd, and they seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, on top of all that, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So understand, Paul's sharing the gospel with Jews and Gentiles Trophimus becomes a Christian. He's an Ephesian. He comes with Paul. He's in the city with him walking around. They're not even sure if he took him into the temple or not, but they think maybe he did. So the commander came up and arrested him in order to be bound with chains. So now Paul's in jail for bringing his friend to church. I was, I've been thinking about that a lot this week. Uh, And I just want to say this. You can bring your friends to church. I don't care who they are. Okay? I don't care what they believe or don't believe, where they came from, their background. You can, you can bring them with you to church. Paul is uh, really building a case for his own credibility here. Uh, he's in jail, which might diminish a person's credibility. I'm reading a book right now about a man who was falsely imprisoned for a number of years, and he wrote letters on, you know, on his own behalf to try to appeal to somebody somewhere. And 
the reality is he had already been convicted and sent to jail, so his credibility was diminished by the fact that he was in jail even though he was there falsely. On top of being in jail, though, Paul's message is a little bit of a stretch because what he's saying here is that the Gentiles are now part of the people of God. And clearly, the Israelites, the Jews who are reading that or hearing that or thinking that or hearing him say that are going, wait a minute, time out. The differences between the two groups were huge. Historically speaking, the Israelites, the Jews, have been God's people for hundreds, thousands of years. And now Paul's saying, wait a minute, these guys are in as well. And on top of that history, there are there's racial differences, there's political differences, there's sociological differences, religious differences. There's a lot of division between the two groups, and Paul calls it here in this text that Taylor read four times, he calls it a mystery, and it really is a mystery. How does God fuse together groups of people that have that much separation between them based on everything else in the world? And, there, and here's the thing. The, the Greek word is mysterion, our word mystery. And what it means is something that's unknowable. And that's what it really is. How God does that is unknowable. Paul says the way that he knows it is, is this, that it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. See, the work of God can't be discovered by study and knowledge, and insight, and reading, and, and trying to figure it out, and put the pieces together, you know, it's not a Rubik's Cube, it, it's the grace of God, the heart of God, the mind of God, the mercy of God, those things come to us only by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, that, that's how we, we understand how God works, is, is by His Spirit, I would say that that's something that should not be that foreign to us, uh, you know, in the Vineyard Movement, uh, and, and even in our church, we, we have a history of uh, the revelation of God. And we, we open up every week at the end of worship. Daphne said today, hey, if, if you're here and, and God's speaking something to you, you can share that. And we believe that. We believe that God reveals things to us. That prophetically, God speaks into the hearts of his people and that we understand his heart for one another. And sometimes we might be sharing or praying with another person and all of a sudden we, ha we have some understanding that we don't have because we learned it or it's, it's come to us through some sort of information. It comes to us from the Holy Spirit. And we should not only, uh, you, you know, that should, not, not, should not, not surprise us, but we should actually have expectation for that. I would just encourage you to really uh, seek God for his wisdom, and his insight by the Spirit into what's happening in the world around you and the lives of people. It's so, so helpful. I, I, you know, I, I'll be honest, it's been a tough go, hasn't it? Here we are in this room, a few of us, more are at home. It's been a year, and, and frankly, I think I, along with everybody else, you, you get tired. I get tired of the whole thing. I, I, you know, we talk about the new normal or returning to normal or things opening up, and I'm kind of like, I don't even know what that looks like anymore. Uh, but I'm I'm weary of of what we've been enduring corporately, and I need the Spirit of God to speak into that. 
I need the Spirit of God to give me insight as to how do we press on, how do we move forward in this time, in this place. Because I believe we can. I believe we can if, if we will tune in and listen and hear and see what are you doing, God? How do you want us to move forward in the midst of this? And then in verse 6, he spells the mystery out and he says this, go ahead. The mystery is this, that through the gospel... The Gentiles are, so first of all, he explains that the mystery is revealed through the gospel. And I want to put a little bit of a contemporary spin on that for us this morning, if I could. Um, The mystery here is that the Jews and the Gentiles are united in Christ. That's the mystery. And that's revealed to Paul through the gospel. Here's what I want to say, that nothing else but the gospel will do that. I'm somebody, uh, I'm all for social reform. I'm for social justice. I, I believe in the passage of laws that are compassionate that, are, that, that create equity, that create uh, equality, that unite people rather than divide people. Uh, I'm for all of that. I'm probably a, a progressive or a flaming liberal or something if you want to put those kinds of terms on it. But at the end of the day, I understand this, that the truth is that nothing but the gospel will actually ever accomplish that. We, we can pass laws, we can protest, we can march, we, we can make our, we can post a thousand things. All of it, you might move the needle a little bit. You might raise awareness, but at the end of the day, the only thing that's ever going to cause there to be real equality across the board among everyone is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will accomplish that. He defines it in three ways. He says that they're heirs together with Israel. Now that's huge, okay? Understand this. This is what he's saying. Dad's got a lot of money. And someday he's going to pass that on in an inheritance. And here's a group of kids over here that are the biological kids. They were born into the family. This group over here, you were adopted, But you all get equal portions. There's no favoritism. I'm going to divide my inheritance up equally among all my kids. And not only that, but you're members together of one body. Equally huge because the the metaphor of the body of Christ, I mean, we've talked about this before, it speaks so loudly because we understand a physical body, right? If part of the body gets disconnected, so if you, if you, if you have a, a gardening accident and you cut your finger off, um, uh, that's not good. 
and you might be able to get the bleeding stopped and your body will live, but the finger is going to die unless you reconnect it pretty quickly, right? You pack the finger in ice and you go to the ER because if you don't, the finger is going to turn blue and atrophy and be gross and yucky and it'll die. We're connected. That's how it works. And the flip side of that is as one body, when we're connected, we feel the pain of the whole body. So if you get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and you accidentally stub your toe against the wall really hard, what happens? The pain shoots through your foot and up the back of your spine to the top of your head. And you go, ah, and you maybe say bad words. But the reality is you feel that all through your whole body. And I would say this today, look, when one part of the body of Christ suffers, we all do. And if there are Christians in in different parts of the world or in our own country or wherever that are under some level of persecution for whatever reason, that affects us the same as it does them. And if it doesn't, uh, we need to reevaluate, okay? Because we really are members together of one body. And finally, he says, we're sharers together in the promise. So not only is there a futuristic reality in terms of the inheritance of God, but there's a present-day reality that we all share together in who God is and what he has for us right now. Uh, Next verse. uh, Go to the next slide. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Um. The word, so first of all, Paul didn't go looking for this. It found him, okay? We all know, again, cross-referencing Acts, Paul was persecuting Christians. He wasn't happy about what was happening in the church, and God found him, knocked him down, and uh, spoke to him, and you know, he saw the light and heard the voice and the whole thing. And in that process, he becomes a servant of the gospel, the word servant is in Greek, diakonos. It's where we get our word deacon. We don't, have, we don't have deacons in our church that are designated as such. Uh, in traditional churches, there are deacons. And we do have the deacon. I forgot about that. We have one. Uh, but we do have people that function as deacons. And, and really, they're just those that serve faithfully, diligently, and, and frankly, get joy from that. Uh, without being asked to. You know, uh, on Thursdays at the pantry, there's a, one, of our, one of the guys that works there, his volunteers every week is named Mike. And Mike um, comes in every week. He's really a deacon. I, I mean, he, he gets there a little before 12, and he leaves around 3.30, and during that time frame, three and a half, four hours, he never stops moving. And, and he... he He's, he's, uh, he's cleaning carts, and he's taking boxes and moving bags, and he's handing out numbers, and he's bringing people in, and he's taking them through, and he's taking out the track. He's killing ants. We had ants in the kitchen. He goes, look, I brought this food-grade diatomaceous earth. It'll kill these ants without, without messing up the food. I'm like, cool, whatever that is. And he just never stops. And he's, he really is just a servant. He's a deacon. He does whatever needs to be done. In verse 8, Paul makes a very interesting statement. Go one more, anyway. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people. 
you know, that's Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul. I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. Paul, preacher, teacher, faith healer, tongue talking, fire walking, Holy Ghost revealing, church planting, scripture writing, demon busting. Paul says, I am the least of all, less than the least of all God's people. I guess my question would be, if Paul's less than the least, who are we? You guys are all right in my book. You really are. God's grace was given to him. He really was out there persecuting the church. He was beating up Christians. He was a thug. Going around beating up Christians. And God got a hold of it. Nobody's out of reach. I don't think anybody I know is out beating up Christians. And he was called by God, next slide, to preach the boundless riches of Christ. Boundless is a word we don't use very much. Um... But it, it really means immeasurable. Riches of Christ are beyond our understanding. I, go, go one more. I love this verse. It's the doxology from Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Years ago, there was a, Scott Underwood wrote a vineyard song with that verse. It was kind of wordy, but the point is simply that it's, beyond our ability to really even fathom how rich and great the mercy and the love of God is. So Paul has been here talking about his role in God's plan, and then in verse 9 he kind of begins to shift gears a little bit and, and actually get into the plan itself. Go one more. And he says, the plan is this, to make plain to everyone the administration of the mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things in his intent, this is key, was that now through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So the mystery is that all people, Jew and Gentile and everyone else, is on equal footing. And Paul said, now that's being revealed through the church. Do you get it? This is the place where people should all be equal. Here's the thing about this. I, the church doesn't really need to do much to make that happen. All we have to really do is be the church. Be willing to say, you know what? We're, we'll be inclusive. We'll welcome whoever walks in the door. We will lay aside our, our personal agendas and our racial and social prejudices and our preconceived notions about people and just be the church. That's really not that hard. Verse 10, go to the next slide. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known 
to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Um, so the wisdom of God is the unity of his people. It's being revealed through the church, not only on this level, but on that level as well. I believe that the rulers and authorities here includes those on earth that people see what's happening in the life of the church and that people can be in inclusive and, and extend hospitality that's beyond social construct. But that goes beyond that into the heavenly realms and it includes... He says rulers and authorities here, but he doesn't say which rulers and authorities. Here's, here's my interpretation of the text. He, he means the good guys and the bad guys. Uh, angels and demons. And he's putting them all on notice. I want you to see what's happening in the life of my church. And you might say that these people are different than those people and they're not the same. But let me show you something. That's what God's saying right here. And frankly, he's not crushing the patriarchy. He's crushing the chiriarchy. Exploitation of gender, race, age, class, sexual preference. He's tearing it all down. White privilege, oppression, racism, capitalism, ableism, jingoism. It's all got to go. You can clap if you want. <laughs> also, we'll always clap for me. The rest of you guys... No, you don't have to. You know, look, <laughs> I'll just say this. I think um, if, if, if that's troublesome to you, if that irks you a little bit, here, here are a couple things. One is just I would say, look, I encourage everybody to do this anyway. Do your own Greek word study. You can do it online. It's really easy. Look these words up in the Greek, and then you come, you draw your own conclusions. What is Paul really saying here? Uh, and, and then bring it up with him, and not me. <laughs> I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger, right? I'm just reporting. God really is saying, I want to tear down all those walls. I want to break down all that division. I, I value everybody the same. And I'll add one more thing. If you think I'm just being PC, let me say this. I am much more concerned about being BC than PC. Being biblically correct is, is to me, much more important than being politically correct. And, and the truth is this. Tucker identified it last week. Being biblically correct is sometimes a little more offensive. If, when you speak the truth of what God has to say, some people might not like that. Next verse. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, that's been the plan from the beginning, always has been, always will be. It's not ending any time soon. It was accomplished through Jesus when he died on the cross and he rose again. I mean, we'll be celebrating Palm Sunday and, and the Passion and Easter in this next couple weeks, and we really have to understand the full picture of what that accomplished in the world today, how much was done through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because of that, we have access to God. 
Go to, go to the next slide. We said in the very beginning, the whole passage is really about prayer, and, and this is the connection right here. Because of what God has done, everything we've just said, now we may approach God with freedom and confidence. There's nothing holding us back. So let me say this. Going back to the beginning, when you say to your friend, I'll pray for you, not only is that one of the most loving things you can do for them, but here's the truth. doesn't matter who you are. You've got the voice with God. You have the ear of God. You have freedom and confidence to say, I, I'm going to lift you up to God right now and know that it's, it's good. It's legit. You're there. You're in. Paul ends uh, exactly like he began. If you want to go one more for me. A lot of slides today. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Um, look, I, I love this. Don't be discouraged. I, I think if you remember anything today, remember that. Uh, don't be discouraged. Things don't always go the way we plan. And sometimes our heroes end up in jail or wherever. And, and sometimes the things we think are going to happen don't happen, and our plans fall through, and nothing works out. And at the end of the day, I think God's word to us right now is don't be discouraged about that. Uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You know, God's not surprised. Global pandemic is not worrying him. A year in isolation is not easy for anybody, but God, God's not afraid. Don't be discouraged. Stuff's maybe not going so great right now. It's okay. Last thing he says, uh, oh, you guys can come back up if you want. Sorry. Uh, it's for your glory. It actually is your glory. It's not for your glory. It is your glory. Um, Suffering, disappointment, anything we might be going through right now, it's not the end of the story. The glory of God as it is. <laughs> you touched my grody mask. Uh, it's not the end of the story. God, God's got more for us. Amen. All right. Goodbye. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org forward slash give.